Hello! <laughs> Welcome back into the fire. Uh, we've got a great episode for you today as we tackle one of the more confusing chapters in the entire Bible, but it's going to be a fun one to read through. I am Justin. I am one of the hosts of this podcast. With me, as always, are Thomas and Peter. Hello to you both. Hello, hey. I'm Thomas, the other one of the other hosts. I'm Peter. Nice to meet you. We hope you are doing well. I'm meeting you, but I've been here for a long time. We've all been here for a long time. 104 episodes now uh, after this one comes out. So, yeah, we're excited to have everyone back in and listening for this episode. If you've not joined us uh, recently, we have been marching through the Book of Romans. We have covered chapters 1 through 8, which brings us today to Romans 9 as one can imagine. Um, chapters 1 through 8, obviously we can't cover everything we talked about here. Uh, if you have not listened yet, I would go ahead and go listen to those first, because obviously uh, the book marches on in order. But, I mean, essentially what we have seen through now, Romans 1 through 8, kind of an overarching idea, uh, man's need and God's glorious provision in Christ or the Holy Spirit, the, the interplay of um, the law and Salvation through Christ is something that we have talked about, the role of faith and all that, the role of righteousness. Um, you know, Romans starts off with telling us what, why we need the righteousness. Um, then we learn that that righteousness is imputed upon us and that righteousness is ultimately accomplished through Christ. Last week was an episode on sanctification. So at the very least, go ahead and listen to last week's episode if you have not, so that you are prepared for today. Um, today starts a very interesting, I think, set of episodes that we'll have coming up. Romans like 9 through 11, 9 through 12 are really good chapters. Romans 12, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, so I'll look forward to getting to that one. Um, Romans 9, one of the more challenging chapters in the Bible. So we have our hands full today, and as such, we are going to spend the entire day on this one chapter of the book. It's also a longer chapter, so... We will have plenty to cover. Who's excited? Ooh, I'm excited. I'm Me? a little nervous as well. This is <laughs> this is the uh, the pinnacle of Romans complexity here. I feel like it is. So I am, yeah, very much excited and nervous at the same time <laughs> <laughs> to get into this. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, overall, Romans nine is going to get us into Israel's history a little bit in relationship with Christ. Um, and that's a complicated past. Uh, and, and the way that Romans 9 goes into it all is also complicated. And I think especially, and we'll get into this, especially depending on your theological um, point of view on certain matters, uh, it can be a chapter that very much challenges your thinking and your belief system. Um, so we have a lot to talk about, and we're going to break it up. Um, because there's a lot here, we're going to break it up into little chunks, take this thing chunk by chunk, um, starting with verses 1 through 5 in Romans. And uh, Thomas, would you like to give that a read? Romans 1 through 5. Romans 9, 1 through 5. Romans 9, okay. <laughs> the first five chapters of Romans. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. 
I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in, in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. <clears throat> they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. All right. Thank you, Thomas. So a short little um, introduction here to Romans 9, verses 1 through 5 kind of sets the stage for everything. Um, I think I'll throw this to you guys to start and uh, ask if anything jumps off the page as we read these five verses. Well, I think the second verse is surprising upon first read, um, especially when you take the end of chapter 8, into consideration and you just keep reading into chapter nine because the last what where we left off in chapter eight the last verse is for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord and then i am speaking the truth in christ that i have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart um so yeah, I was not really expecting to come across this verse. Um, it's kind of in stark contrast to just the optimism and just the, the momentous language in chapter eight. But I think it it, uh, it shows us that this chapter is going to be very serious and, and irreverent. And I think we'll end up seeing that. Yeah. I mean, even in verse three, he goes, for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Mm -hmm. He just spent eight chapters saying how amazing and awesome it is that we have Christ the Savior willing to die for us. And now he's wishing that he was cut off from Christ for his brothers, which is interesting. It's very uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it's, it's to stress the idea that um, it's not easy to, or it's not easy for like pe the people of Israel to get behind Christ. You know, it's because they were expecting something so different. You know, it's like to them belong the patriarchs and the law, the worship, the promises. And eventually, in verse 5, he says, Christ also belongs to, to them, you know? And it's almost kind of like, well, why are, why are the Gentiles here? Like, is, is God, like, abandoning the Jews to then welcome the Gentiles? And that's kind of the, the question that he's going to wrestle with through the next um, couple chapters, and this one included. And so, yeah. Yeah, Um there are a lot of difficult questions asked in this chapter, and that is one of them. Um, and we'll get to that a lot at the end of end of Romans 9. Um, also, the relationship with the Jews and Gentiles and God's relationship with them. So plenty to talk about there. And Thomas, I love that you bring up verse 3, uh, because that's my, I guess, favorite verse of, this, uh, of these five verses, which kind of, as Peter said, you have this tone of, 
I mean, he says great sorrow and continual grief. We kind of take a a sorrowful tone in Romans 9 to start. Um, but verse 3 is my favorite verse here um, because, you know, he's getting into the heading for my thing over this part of Romans 9 is Israel's rejection of Christ. So he's getting into that a little bit, which is a difficult, top, a difficult topic to take on. Um, but it says a lot about Paul that he's essentially saying, I would give up my own <laughs> salvation so that God's people and my, my brethren here can be saved, um, which is a, I mean, think about what that means. <laughs> it means what you said, Thomas, giving up everything that he just talked about that's so amazing so that anyone else can be saved and then sending himself to an eternity not in heaven. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, for others. And my Bible cross-references Exodus 32 chapters, or Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 through 32, where Moses says the same thing. After the people are worshiping the golden calf, Moses goes back to the Lord and says, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Mm -hmm. um, the same kind of idea that he gives there. And that's pretty uh, exemplary leadership. It's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. yeah. There's a book that I read. It's called The Door on Half Bald Hill. It's a phenomenal book. Um, it's a Christian fantasy novel, but there's uh, basically all of humanity is reduced to this one island and like the world is dying. Um, and it's because the water is being poisoned and it's become quote unquote bitter water. Um, but at one point, like the, the main character goes to, to see his dad, he like travels back home and his dad's like, this world's going to die. They're basically thinking the world's going to die in the next like year or two because they can't grow crops and et cetera. And it's getting hard. Um, and his dad's like, I would drink all the bitter water in the world if it meant you could have a family. And it was like such a sweet um, moment. But it's kind of like the same thing. It's like the whole of the whole yeah. idea that it's like let let all the condemnation go to me so that everybody else might be saved. And it's also a very Christ-like thing of Christ letting all the condemnation fall on him so that we might all be saved. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. I know we we talked about sanctification last week. They look at Paul's sanctification here to have such faith and, and just love for others, for his brothers to be able to say that. And yeah, that is very Christ-like. Um, yeah, I really like that example from that book that you gave. And yeah, the example of Moses is also um, is also pretty cool as well. And Christ as well. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll, we'll move on. Uh, we'll have maybe a little more to say here, but setting the stage for the rest of what we have. So this sorrow and grief kind of sets up the rest of the chapter. It's going to make Paul ask some and answer some difficult questions, um, you know, kind of along the lines of Israel was promised so much. Look at verses four to five, the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises. That was all to Israel. Yet Israel fell away from God in large part. Um, and, and a difficult question is, what does that mean for us? Chapter 8 and and before then laid out this plan um, 
that you know God has a purpose for us. Nothing can prevent that purpose from being fulfilled, and no one can separate God's people from His love. That's from the footnotes in my Bible. Um, but then asked, what about the Jewish people? He had a purpose for them, yet Israel appears to be, it says here, excluded from God's program. So what does that mean? Paul is going to address some of these difficult questions coming soon. <laughs> Luckily, there is no break. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any more thoughts on these five verses before we get into the really difficult stuff? <laughs> um, it's just, it's important to note that Paul as a Jew is coming to Israel with compassion. He's like, I understand <laughs> why this is hard for you. I understand why it feels like God's word has failed you. Um, but he's like, and, and, he, and then he starts to get into the meat of how God's word did not fail them hmm. uh, in the rest of the chapter. So, yeah, I think it's just, this is kind of a side of Paul we don't always see, I think, or is not necessarily always talked about, um, his compassion and kind of love for his brothers of Israel, which is kind of cool to see. Yeah, yeah it is. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, there's, I think there's more, like, I have some more stuff I could say about these verses, but I don't think, but, I, or I guess I think looking at them in context of the verses coming up, um, probably will be more meaningful, I think. Are you sure? Um, <laughs> yes, I am. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, with that, how about you read verses six through 13? All right, starting in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But, quote, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, end quote. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, quote, about this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son, end quote. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, quote, the older will serve the younger, unquote, as it is written, quote, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated, end quote. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> Uh, thanks for reading, Peter. So I, at the very start of this, I would point out uh, verse 6, which is where we immediately, after Paul says Israel, you know, we have Israel's fall from grace here, you know, Israel's rejection of Christ, and probably Israel feeling, you know, the Jewish people probably feeling a little bit uh, uh, maybe abandoned, maybe betrayed here. Paul goes immediately and says that it's not the word of God being the promises of God that has taken no effect. Um, it's not any failure on God's part here that uh, things have not worked out as originally thought. Um, so he's going to challenge them on that. And then he's going to get into this 
history of Israel here, which is where we start to get into some of the challenging stuff of this chapter, I think. Um, Israel, the way he spells it out here, is kind of divided into two camps, children of God, children of the flesh. And that's not just true of Israel. That's true of all of us. Um, and he's going to get into that by bringing up Jacob and Esau, uh, Isaac and Ishmael. <laughs> and so there's, you know, some Old Testament knowledge to come into play here. And then I think the challenging part about this chapter is that it it really gets into the idea of the elect. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Which <laughs> is big word. one of the most, if not the most, um, okay. heavily debated and uh, difficult like the theological um, mountains to climb, I think. And depending on your view, and this is why it's so difficult in Romans 9, depending on your view of this idea of election, um, it's it can be a very hard chapter to read. Um, you know, my I have a little section of my Bible that says Calvinists often use Romans 9 verses 6 through 24 to defend their position. Um you know, being kind of a pretty staunch view of the idea of election and that God elected people kind of unconditionally at the start. And those are the people who get saved. I'm, I'm dumbing that down big time. Um, but if that's not exactly your view, if you don't, if you don't take that like Calvinistic view on it, it can be a really difficult chapter to read because these are the verses that are often used to back up that viewpoint. Yeah take a time to explain how we each feel about this for a little bit? We can, certainly. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a lot what this, what these, this uh, chapter is about. So I am more than happy to. Um, yeah. We can all briefly get into it quick. <laughs> yeah. And can maybe, I add, maybe can we I don't add know. something <laughs> real quickly before we yes, you can. get into this? Because yes. Or else I feel like we may move past this those verses but like i i like i wanted to say yeah before we get into the election um conversation i i really like verses or verse six through seven um and and justin you're like because verse six says but it's not as though the word of god has failed and you said like paul is speaking to the israelites and saying like it's not as though the word of god has failed that things have not ended up as they expected them to be and i think the irony is that like it's be, it's not because of the word of god has failed but rather like because of the word of god like it's the the irony is that it has ended up even better than israelites had planned or expected but they just can't see that yet and i think that paul is trying to make the the argument of that and um I, I feel like there's some old covenant, like new covenant um, like undertones here, or, or Paul is kind of getting at that with like verses four through five with the Israelites talking about um, like to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. Um, and like, while that's true, I think under the new covenant, like that applies to all of us. Um, like as Christians saved by grace through faith and not just through being an Israelite. 
And I think Paul is trying to change that dynamic in their brain. And a large part of what that means is and what it means to become elect. Like it's not just being an Israelite, but rather having a, uh, being an Israelite by heart, so to speak, in which you are saved by, or like being circumcised by heart, as we talked about the other week and having that faith and those who have that faith are the elect. And I feel like that's where this <laughs> conversation is going now, but, um, I just yeah. thought that was cool and, and a thing that I noted. So I wanted to, um, just wanted to bring that up before things carried on through the rest of this chapter. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for getting that yeah. in because it's <laughs> a good thing to mention. And, um, especially before we get into some of this stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, well, yeah, I'm ready I to really like that here. That was really good. Um, all right. So, you know, I, I can kick things off kind of personal viewpoint on this idea of elect and try to keep it short. I think um, I tend to fall more into the, the camp of looking at it in terms of God's foreknowledge of things rather than like the predestination, strict predestination idea. Um, and the rest of this chapter will kind of, I think, challenge viewpoints of everyone probably. But, you know, I look at more from God knows what's going to happen. He knows who's going to accept him. But that does not mean that we don't have the free will to um, choose whether or not to follow him, you know. There is a desire on God's part to see everyone saved. Um, and simply because he is God, he kind of knows the future. <laughs> so he knows what's in the future for each of us. But still, that does not mean the, the choice is any less up to us in this world, what we choose to believe. Say that last bit again. The choice is not up to us in this world. <laughs> the choice is not any less up to us in this world on what, we, on what we believe. On what we believe. So we still have that choice. It's not like we are destined to do one thing or another, even though in a sense, maybe we are. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No. Um, Peter, do you want to go or do you want me to go? Um, well... I can go real quickly because I, my view is similar to what Justin said. So I'm not, I don't have a ton more to add, but I've never really thought of the word for, for knowledge before. And I like that because I think that sums it up some. And um, just to, to build on to Justin's point, like something I've heard before is, um, and not to get too meta, but like for God, time is not linear. So like he knows what's going to happen before it happens and like take our lives. Like if time for God is just a dot where like it all, like there's no timeline, for example, or like beginning or end, like he knows, he just knows if we are going to make the decision in our hearts to follow God. And then through that, he has the foreknowledge before we are born that whether we are elect or not, and I may not be doing that view justice by what I just described, or I may not have described it well, but um, that's kind of how I, how I view it. 
All right. Cool. So I'm I'm going to veer a little bit more towards Calvin than Bowman. Oh, we got a Calvinist here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's hear it. And I don't know. I'm a, I am a fan of election and predestination. Um, I think that, I mean, I think we're going to get here today. Um, but like 19 through 24 is probably my best evidence. Um, and we can, we can talk about that later. But I think it's important to reconcile the fact that um, even though, like, some are predestined and some, like, for, for they'd say to be Christian, some are predestined to say be unchristian. I think it's important to note that we still do have free will. Um, and, like, if you want to get into the, the reads, there's this uh, philosophical um, idea called compatibilism, which is determined free will is basically when it's um, boiled down to its, its bare bones. But in the same way that, um, say, I, my life could be fully determined by the states of the universe, um, I'm still the one that chooses to get up at 9.30 a.m. I'm still the one that chooses to eat um, my Honey Nut Cheerios over a banana for breakfast. You know, I'm, I'm, me personally, in my life, my perspective is I'm making these choices. Whether the choices were decided or not, I'm still the one making them and the responsibility for them still lies on me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like, yes, technically, now applying that to predestination, be like, yes, technically, um, say, like, I was set apart or created to be a Christian and to know God, and God first moved so that I could then say yes and agree and accept Jesus into my heart. Um, it's like, say that was determined, I'm still the one who chose to follow Christ. Does that make sense? So you, you still have the free will, um, but you also have that that kind of um, determined God foreknowledge. Because um, even if even if it is in foreknowledge, God created the world and created everybody with the knowledge that some are going to hell and some are going to hell. Mm -hmm. Right, and you have to accept that yeah right uh jesus died for all but all did not want jesus to die for them and god created everyone does that make sense yes so on some level that's that's the the thing that you got to wrestle with um and so yeah, and it's I a lot to wrestle say, with I, I choose to say that um actually I, I can get to the rest of it let me let me go to 19 um through, through 26 um yeah and that we can i think now that we all know where we stand we can keep going yeah i'm actually glad that we've got a little bit of a mix of uh you know it's not like it's, it's bad to disagree on this uh, but i'm glad that we have a mix of beliefs on this topic um 
And ultimately, I think they both, both concepts here, and we'll get to this in the rest of the chapter, comes down to me, Romans 9 is all about accepting God's sovereignty. Mm. Um, that is my largest takeaway from all of this, and it's what we'll get to. And it's what we see in verses 6 or 13 as well. We know what Paul writes here, that God chose Isaac, and God chose Jacob. Uh, verse 13, Jacob, I have loved Esau, I have hated. That does not mean he hates Israel. It's more from hates Esau. It's more from an accepted um, and kind of rejected kind of viewpoint. And it's up to God to make that decision. So, you know, God knows what's going to happen. He knows who's going to be saved and who's not, no matter what your viewpoint is on the subject. Um, and it's his sovereignty that decides to give us grace and give us mercy. And it's his sovereignty in deciding and knowing who is going to ultimately be a child of God. And accepting that is a very hard thing to do because at times, especially to us humans, it does not feel fair. Um, you know, you look at like Jacob, Esau, Isaac, Ishmael. What did Ishmael do that was wrong? Nothing. But Isaac was the one of the promise there. Um, and that was God's decision to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, yes, I think, and this this little this extends a little bit beyond verse thirteen. But the the idea of mercy and mercy being not getting something that we do deserve. It's this. And this also ties, and then this ties back to Isaac and Ishmael and and Jacob and Esau. In that, you talk about what's fair. And what's fair is that we are all um, unworthy and deserving of, um, yeah, deserving of, of God's wrath apart from Christ. And it's less that, er, um, I guess there's a quote from Spurgeon I found in the Blue Letter Bible that said, a woman came once to Mr. Spurgeon or yeah, once said to Mr. Spurgeon, I cannot understand why God should say that he hated Esau. That, Spurgeon replied, is not my difficulty, madame. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. Um, and so, like, we all, like, are worthy of not being chosen. But God, in his mercy, um, chooses and, and elects us. Yeah. And... Um, I think, yeah, that should, it should just increase our amazement that we are saved um, rather than bring up the perplex, perplex, perplexity or, um, you know, question of like, well, is this, is, is God being fair to us in this? Like we, but um, under the context that, or the, the perspective that um, we are not, like we don't deserve any of this it's a miracle that God has chosen us. Then I think it begins to just show God's glory and, and love for us and his, his power and sovereignty. Yeah. That's good stuff. And you're going to like, uh, you queued us up perfectly for the beginning of the next uh, group of verses here, because we're going to get into a lot of that. Um, and this is verses 14 through 29. We're going to go ahead and do this. Thomas, you're, 
your big verses coming up. Um, I will go ahead and take verses 14 through 21. Um, and then Peter, if you want to do 22 through 26 and Thomas 27 to 29. Our, yeah, let's do it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Here we go. <laughs> what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people I will call my people, and her who was not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of, of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts has not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Thank you very much. Okay. We will read the last couple chapters of the verse of the chapter, <laughs> the last couple verses of the chapter in a little bit. Um so this is these verses here are kind of what I was getting at, and my, my big takeaway is the sovereignty of God. Um, and Peter, I think you said it perfectly um, in that God's mercy goes on those who he chooses, and that's up to God. And that's what he tells Moses. It's been that story from the start. Um, and to me, you just have to look at it from a standpoint of, you know, God's mercy is not something that we are entitled to. Um, we, we deserve none of it at all. Um, and the fact that he gives any is quite a miracle. Um, and I think Paul here is kind of trying to respond to the natural complaint of his audience. And you have to remember that he's writing to an audience. So, he lays out, you know, God chooses these people and these people. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob. So the natural response is, but that's not fair. If he chose them before they were born, then, you know, it has nothing to do with what kind of person they were, what good works they did. And for Paul, I think that's kind of the point. Um, God's justice is God's justice. It doesn't, our, our sense of it, um, we might look at it as unfair but ultimately, God's sovereignty is what kind of reigns supreme through everything. We are but little pieces of pottery that he has made. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's... 
this this is why I I think it has such a good like predestination, i.e. Calvinism, um makes sense. Because just because of has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, had endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of glory, or to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Um, like, he... Even if somebody was created for destruction, it's like they. <laughs> this is this might be this might be bad. Hang on a second. <laughs> I need to parse this out. Um, they're technically fulfilling their purpose, um, but not in like the oh yeah they deserve to go to hell, but more in like a they were created for an end. And they will live their life to that end. Does that make sense? It uh, does. And it's it's just it's what makes us so hard, is that's a hard thing to accept. It's hard to get around, but it's also they're gonna live their life to that end, but they're gonna also want to live their life to that end. Yeah. And I think the Pharaoh is a good example of this in verse 17 for the scripture says to Pharaoh for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Um, Cause it's Pharaoh also, I don't know where the verses are, but it says that, you know, Pharaoh, his heart is, is hardened. He hardens his heart. Like he um, is one of these dishonorable vessels, but through that, God is glorified because he raises the Israelites out of slavery, which then um, is like a, a typology or, or an example of you know what God has done for us in, in our sin. Um, he raised us out of that as well. Um, and like that, yeah, it just shows like the, the ultimate end purpose of that is for God to be glorified through that, through um, like Pharaoh's heart being hardened and being that that way, but also I think, are we not all like dishonorable vessels prepared prepared for destruction? Yes. Um, yeah, and and like I love the verses in Hosea that he calls out here because those who are not my people I will call my people, and her who is not beloved I will call beloved, and in the very place where it was said them you are not my people they will be called sons of the living God like that is all of us and it's through just the, the amazing miracle of God um, like sending Jesus down to earth and our, our responsibility that we do have, yes, to have faith in Jesus Christ, but that's when we be, can become like honorable vessels that can be, or uh, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which has been prepared beforehand for glory. Um, yeah, and God endures much patience with us, as it says in chapter 22, as we are dishonorable vessels prepared, prepared for destruction. Um, yeah, I think, I think you kind of knocked it right on the head there. Um, also, 
like the going back to your little point about Pharaoh, it's it's in Exodus, it's God hardens Pharaoh's heart, God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and then Pharaoh hardens Pharaoh's heart. Um, and so it is Pharaoh's choice to be hardened and to ultimately go after Israel that leads to his own destruction. Nice. Yeah. Uh, that, thanks. For, yeah. Thanks for bringing those up. And and so like that, it's a very important thing. Um, and I think it also, but with, towards the end of what you're saying, goes back to the, the Spurgeon quote. Um, it's not that. He's condemning, it's more like he's saving some. You know, and the people that he's saving are to bring him even greater glory. And that is our purpose. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. Um, I think some of this is difficult. And I you look at it from the hardening of the heart perspective um because i believe this also happens with like king saul um he starts to go down this <laughs> pretty dark path and eventually um god changes his heart and and saul's heart is hardened against god um and those are difficult things to wrap around because you know we get back to this two different views on the idea of election the Calvinist and the Arminian view, <laughs> big words. Um, and, you know, you have what we read here, but, you know, the other argument is the idea that, and my Bible points to specific verses I just read, First Timothy 2, 3, and 4, which said God desires all people to um, be saved. And so it's a hard thing to, like, reconcile the two together. Um where yes all people are desired to be saved but some people are created not created but some people are set up not to be it's just a difficult thing to to try and ask and i think it's what makes this all so challenging um my bible also points out notably in verse 22 to 23 when it talks about um god prepared some for you know god preparing vessels of wrath prepared for destruction um and then some prepared for beforehand for glory. My Bible says that the literal words here, the first being prepared themselves. So the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction prepared is prepared themselves for destruction. And the second prepared beforehand for glory that prepared says, which he prepared for glory. Ah. So that gets more to the idea that we do have a role in it. Um, we prepare ourselves, and in that way, we reject God and do not receive that mercy, much like many in the nation of Israel, which Paul is lamenting for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that, and that still leaves the question, like if God really desires all of us to be saved, then why does he even allow this? opportunity to not be saved in the first place well it's it's, it's <laughs> the idea that god is unfair because some are punished and some receive mercy mm -hmm. and the thing is, we all deserve punishment and only some of us accept his mercy yeah i think the really challenging part is being able to wrap your head around the 
idea that God is not unfair. Because it's easy to read this and think that's so unfair. And that's kind of how we are wired. Um, but go back to verses 14 and 15. Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. And mm -hmm. it's just putting ourselves in that place. Um, and I, I understand kind of the, the more strictly Calvinist side of it. Um, and to accept that, and to accept any of this, accept that some people are saved, some people are not, depending on, or no matter what your, your beliefs are on it, um, you have to accept that some people just, it's just how it goes. They're going to be those who are saved, those who are not. God chooses one way to do things, and it's not our place to come in and question that. Um, it's our place to seek out God and seek out his mercy that is readily available to everyone. True. Yeah. God is God and we are not. Um, and also, yeah, verse 20. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Um, <laughs> which I think, like, yeah, it's 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 hard for us to wrap our head around. And we have a lot of questions about what what these verses mean and what elect means and predestination means and what fairness and unfairness mean. Um, but ultimately... Like we we know and trust that our God is a loving and and just God, and we can put our faith in in God and know that like yeah we are limited we are humans with limited understanding of things, but and and yeah who are we to answer back to God? You know God is God and we are not, but we trust and know that God is loving and just, so we can put our faith in Him and know that like what the Bible says is true, what the word says is true. And that should increase our, our reverence for God. Yes, it's hard. It's hard to, it can be a hard step to take, but I think ultimately like that should be humbling for us and also increase our reverence for God and our amazement and awe on, on who God is that he just knows better than we do and he loves us very much mm -hmm. that's also important to stress like what the like, going back to the beginning of romans chapters one through three when paul basically lays out why the gentiles are condemned and then lays out why Jews are condemned based upon the law and how salvation can only come through the death of Christ. And that now in chapter nine, like we have to remember that foundation that not all people are created like good. Like we're not sinless when we're born and enter into this world. We're full of sin and we cannot keep the law and we deserve death and destruction. That is that is all everybody's end when they enter in when they're born because of what happened in the garden. And so God sent Christ so that that will not be the end of everyone. And you can also not you can't get it you can't get away from we de deserve destruction and you can't get away from God sent Christ so that 
some may not be destroyed. And so it is still by the power of Christ, and it's still the saving work of Christ, and it's still him coming to save his children. Um, and it's coming to save the children that choose him, and it's coming to save, save the children that he chose. And so it's, there's, a, there's a duality. There's two choices. Even if the choice is ultimately up to God, we still need to respond, and we still need to follow Christ and decide to do that and decide to be Christian and to go be a member of the church and to spread the word of God. It's not, this isn't like, uh, okay, well, now I'm a Christian, now I have to do nothing because God chose me, yay. It's not like God chose me and I'm choosing God and that radically shifts how I live my life as it, as it should too. And then that gets into the sanctification in six, seven, eight, which we just covered, of now that you choose God and you choose the salvation that's offered in Christ, now what does that do to somebody who then lives in Christ? It makes you more Christ-like because that is the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you. And then it's like, well, okay, so now that we deserve destruction and we can now be Christ-like, well, what happened to Israel? And Paul here is saying God still chose Israel as his people, and he chose more than Israel as his people. So it's not just that salvation is going to come through Israel. The salvation that came through Israel is Christ. And so now that we have Christ, it opens it up for all, not just Israel, to be saved, which is, but it, but it should also be Israel. And that's why he's <laughs> sad that they're not choosing Christ. And that leaves us that was very well said yes that was thomas um we're we're low on time so i want to get to the last few chapters of the book um and if we want to comment on them quickly we can any closing thoughts versus of the chapter I'll just read Romans and then I'm sure I can speed it up in editing super quickly so that we read through the rest of it. <laughs> um, I'll go ahead and read these three verses, um, verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him, capital H, will not be put to shame. Um, so we get back to the idea of the law versus faith there at the end. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Um going back to verse four, like it is a blessing to the Israelites that, and that, uh, that God gave them the law. They are the chosen people, but, um, I don't know if this, this is my interpretation of it, but I think that also oh, like the law provides a stumbling stone for the Israelites because it opens the door for them, believing that through their works and obedience to the law, mm. that they should be more righteous than the Gentiles who have not been given the law, but who just 
have faith. Um, do you guys kind of see that a similar way? I think so. And that's why you get the stumbling stone analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which comes back. Yeah, that end. comes up several times <laughs> in the Bible. <laughs> it does? Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, if there's anything to add, feel free to add it in before we finish um, up. Yeah, Peter kind of knocked it right on the right on the nose there. I I have said my piece, P E A C E, not P I E C. Could be both. Good. Yeah. Um. I. Let's see. Oh, I guess that you know if. I mean, these last verses kind of bring up again the idea of justification by faith like if we believe in our hearts and, and confess their mouths that jesus is lord we are saved that means like if we have faith in jesus christ as our lord and savior that means we are chosen god has chosen us and that's a miracle we should be very grateful very grateful for that um yeah but yeah that's all that's all i have to add I think I'd echo that no matter where you fall theologically between these two concepts we talked about today. Um, ultimately, you you know, I think we're all of the belief that God chooses you and you choose God and God has mercy. Um, mm. And that's a big takeaway. And it's God's sovereignty that decides kind of everything in the end. And it's our role to accept that and live in a world where things are up to God. He created the world. He created us. Um and it's a, again, this is a really difficult chapter. And I think if you read it and you're left with more questions than answers, that's perfectly okay and perfectly normal. Um, and it can just challenge you to think about your own view of, of things a little bit. Um, I would pose personally that the whole idea of election, it's okay to disagree on it. Uh, it maybe it borders the line between what we've talked about on this podcast before on like, what's a salvation disagreement and not, but I think this is not necessarily like a salvation dividing disagreement. It's just a interpretation of, uh, of scripture and, and, and our faith and all that. And so it's a perfectly normal thing to disagree about. Uh, all the theologians throughout time have disagreed on it. Um, but it does not have to be like a, a dividing line between <laughs> anything that is super important here. Um, but Romans 9 can be a difficult chapter to read and try and understand. So, you know, if you're left with some questions, go back, read it closely, maybe find a commentary online that talks through some of this. Footnotes in the Bible help. Um, and yeah, this is one that I'd say definitely try to give it another read. Uh, do not be discouraged if it is difficult. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk about double predestination now? <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> Just um, uh, with that, I mean, as oh, long as you rest on the fact that Christ is your salvation and you didn't get that on your own, exactly, you're good. We can all agree on that. <laughs> yeah. um, with all that said, I'll go ahead and say a quick prayer here. And then we will 
give a little bit of information and close down the episode. Sweet. Dear God, thank you for another great episode of this podcast. Thank you for giving us the time to try and wrestle through some of these difficulties in Scripture and try and understand um, what Paul is writing here in the book of Romans, even if we don't fully comprehend it all and maybe, uh, you know, being human, it's not something we're going to be able to fully comprehend. But God, I I pray that we would continue to look to you um, to try and help us understand this and help us understand our place in the world and your place over all of us. In your name, amen. 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 And uh, Thomas, how about you give the listeners a little bit about how they can get in touch with us? All right, y'all. First of all, thanks for listening. You really appreciate it. Uh, so can, you can contact us in a in a multitude of ways. Um, the first is our email at three in the fire at gmail.com. That is the number three. You type the little three key on your keyboard and then you type out in letters in the fire at gmail.com. Um, and then you can just send us an email. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear back from you guys. And the second one, which is probably easiest for most people, you can just uh, slide into our DMs on Instagram. Uh, we have an at in the fire podcast. So that's just at spelled out in the fire podcast. Uh, we also have a website, which is the same as our Instagram in the fire podcast spelled out. And then you just throw on dot com, and you're, you're good to go. I think we're going to try and get a blog, um, soon. It's not, it's not there right now. Yeah, but you know, I was thinking this weekend here. might be a good weekend to at least get something quick out there. Maybe a quick blog presenting uh, both points of view on what we talked about today. The yeah. Idea of the elect. Yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> we should do that. Um, so stay tuned for a coming blog. Um, we have, you also have links to our Instagram, email, and uh, Spotify to see some of the episodes on our website as well. Um, so yeah, so if you just want to kind of know why we're doing this about us a little bit more, um, interact with us, just head on over to the website and it'd be super fun. So thanks guys. Fantastic. Yep. Thank, Thank you. you, Thomas. Thank you, Peter, for joining as well. And we will be back in our next episode next week or sometime soon. <laughs> yeah. Nice yeah, great it. episode. Thanks for spearheading this, Jay. And yeah. Talk to you guys next time. Have a good week. See ya.